I think it's, I think the role of equity in urban policy right now is really interesting. I think people are recognizing the importance of, of, um, enabling housing construction to make cities more affordable and how some of the things that maybe we consider to be precious in cities now won't be, I don't think in even 10 years. Hi, thank you for tuning in. This is Getting Personal with Designers. My name is Tamir Schuster from Precise, and today I'm talking to Miriam Peterson and Nathan Rich from Peterson Rich Office, or PRO in short, if you like. They met at Yale University while obtaining their Master of Architecture and sparked through flying right away. They are partners in life and in business and have founded their studio back in 2012. Miriam, Nathan, and the studio have won many awards in less than a decade of operation. Promise you it's going to be a good one. Let's get started. Miriam and Nathan, thank you for being here and joining us in, uh, in this, I don't know, I want to say great day because it's great weather outside actually. So thank you for coming and taking the trip. Um, we're being... Um, Today, we're going to talk to Miriam um, Peterson and Nathan Rich, founded their architectural practice, Peterson Rich Office, almost 10 years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 2012. Okay. Won many awards throughout the years, um, but only starting and growing. I think we want to talk about that. And we also want to talk about actually growing a practice while you're actually growing a family. Mm-hmm. Um and doing it together, not just partners uh, in the office, but also partners in life. Um, so a lot of interesting things to talk about. And the way we're going to do it today is kind of going to be similar to a project. Mm-hmm. So we're going to start off with schematic design, just general questions about why you become an architect, rolling in into DDs. So talking about, you know, you and your practice and then CDs, getting a bit more detailed about the industry and finishing off with CA about the future. Um, so should we just start? Let's do it. Yeah. All right. You have to talk. That's that's the nature of podcast. Like, <laughs> that's Nathan. all we have. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. Let me start with the basics. Maybe, maybe we will start. Why have you decided to become an architect? Um, <clears throat> I decided to be an architect or I guess decided to study architecture. Um it was around the time, it was like 2004, and so there was a lot going on in New York City post 9-11, and sort of thinking about how to, to rebuild the World Trade Center, and I think <clears throat> sort of witnessing that from up, up in Ithaca, um, and down in New York, because I'm a native New Yorker, um, it was a kind of example for me of how impactful architecture and design can be on like wider systems. So I was an econ major in college, as well as an Italian literature major. Um, and most of my interest in econ kind of had to do with um, the social science aspect of things, you know, the interrelated nature of cause and effect and all the all the kind of things that live around us that we don't see in the urban environment. Um, and so I think that kind of coupled with watching this very important transformation and rebuilding of my hometown made me see the connection between the built environment and the potential to really impact one's surrounding and community. And so that, you know, got me interested in a career in architecture that kind of bridged some of those early academic interests with something that felt 
you know, tangible and real. Unlike if I were an economist, I would kind of still live in the world of invisible forces and modeling and things. And I was much more interested in physical, concrete things. So it's interesting that New York was actually um, a major factor in your decision. But Nathan, you were growing up Massachusetts, right? Mm -hmm. If I'm getting it right. Mm -hmm. So it's not New York for you. Why have you decided to become an architect? Yeah, I, I didn't know any architects. I didn't know much about architecture and hadn't even really traveled much. So I hadn't even seen very much architecture. I think I just had a, a general sense. You know, I liked making things and I liked art and I liked uh, the idea of having an impact and was sort of politically engaged and tried to think about the mechanisms that uh, sort of, I don't know, was it? drove change in the world. And so it was just kind of a general sense of being able to combine creativity with impact. And uh, I just kind of dove in with both feet or jumped in with both feet. Nice. You talked about, um, you talked about art. So where do you find your inspiration? Certainly from art. And we're lucky to work with a lot of artists and um, creative people who are very inspiring for us. Personally, um, I read a, a lot about science and try to bring some of that into our practice, geology and physics. Um, but I would say we end up both through interest and in work, end up looking at a lot of artwork and that drives a lot of the inspiration. You, you talk maybe about New York, right? As, mm -hmm. a, as kind of a, what really inspired you into becoming an architect. You walk around the city and this is where you still find inspiration? Yeah, for sure. Right. In in things big and small. So I think a couple of years ago, it was probably more than a couple of years at this point, we were interviewed for this like little story in the, the New York Post or maybe it was New York Magazine. Um, I don't remember. An interviewer was just asking architects and designers like what inspired them about New York. Um, and my answer, which was an honest one, was like walking around at nighttime in Brooklyn and like being able to see inside of people's apartments oh, and yeah. kind of like... Just, like, see how they live in a non-planned, disorganized way. So, yeah, that's, like, a small, informal way that I think New York City continues to inspire. Um, obviously, there's a lot of amazing, like, and great contemporary architecture, but I think it, it inspires, you know, kind of at all the, levels. Low-brow, high-brow, big and small, yeah. all of it. And except the city and, you know, the living in the city, is there people that also pushed you or you looked up to um, before becoming an architect? So maybe right now, you know, still those days. Certainly. I think, you know, in addition to having some great teachers, we also, I think, both worked for architects that really inspired us over the years. We share in common... Um, Todd Williams and Billy Chen, who Miriam worked for for a number of years and who I was actually able to study under. And they've inspired us both as architects and as people. Uh, you know, they're also uh, partners in life and run their practice accordingly. And they're somebody that we kind of admire the way that they've built their practice. Uh, yeah. And I would say on a personal level, I think they just treat everyone with dignity and respect. Um from, you know, everyone within the office to, you know, all the people they interact with outside of the office, how they think about the people that occupy their projects and how they think of even about their architecture, kind of living in the world after they're gone. 
Um, and that has been, and it just resonates, I think, with who we are as people. Mm-hmm. But having a model for that um, early on was very impactful for us. So building it up with those people and your inspiration um, and all in all, when you're putting it together, do you remember when you first started, what was your first project? Maybe together as a, as a team? I remember. Do you remember? No. Oh, no, you're not. Oh, no. <laughs> Tell me what you think our first project <laughs> So I think we did this competition oh. called, interestingly, the Gowanus Low Line Competition. Uh-huh. Which we didn't even, we didn't live in Brooklyn at the time. Sure we did. We had like just (laughs) moved to Brooklyn. We lived in Carroll Gardens. Yeah, but Mm -hmm. we had just moved to the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Um, Nathan had lived in Brooklyn before. I grew up in Manhattan. Um, And it was this like ideas competition for Gowanus, which of course is now where our office is and, you know, where we've been living around and working in for the last 10 years. Um, and we, yeah, we did this ideas competition. We ended up, it wasn't, there wasn't anything to win, but there were like five projects or something that won. And on our one year anniversary, wedding anniversary, Do you remember that which date? was about Nathan? the year after right we now. did that the competition or maybe six months after <laughs> the competition, we opened like an exhibition in Gowanus in this gallery of all of the winning projects. One of the things that's interesting is there was a rendering in that competition of the competition was about the bridges that go over the Gowanus Canal yeah. and how you could maybe make those bridges into buildings and those buildings could have working space and creative space for the various types of creative people that are around the Gowanus and, and builders around the Gowanus. And uh, one of the renderings was of a bridge across 9th Street that we now look at every single day from yeah. our office. And at the time, we weren't there, but coincidentally, we happened to be in yeah. that space. So, yeah. I want to say closing a circle, but your circle is still open. We're not closing it <laughs> just yet. Um, uh, that's cool. I think, you know, just knowing that, knowing you for years now, but like actually now knowing the backstory um, really, you know, <laughs> fills those gaps mm-hmm. in personality that I, I'm not missing. But now, now it's just makes it more interesting. Um, so rolling into DDs, um, as we promised, because we, we build it up and now we want to talk about your practice, um, your partners in life, I guess before partners in, uh, in, in an architectural Mm -hmm. practice, um, how do you make it work? I'm sure it's not easy. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I think it took us a number of years to learn how to be business partners together Mm -hmm. and like leaders together in the office, you know, we had to kind of like hone our own styles and figure out how to work most effectively together, which was partly conscious and unconscious. I think it was just sort of like time and adjustment. Mm -hmm. Um, I think one of the, one of the most sort of successful things about our partnership in, in life and in business is like a term that Nathan started using early on in our relationship (laughs) It was all the same oat bag, which kind of was just like this inside joke. We used to make bets with each other and bet like a thousand dollars because like it didn't matter anymore once we were married and we were sharing a bank account. Um, but I, I feel think she like owes me like six thousand. No, I, I'm winning now. Actually, I'm up in the tallies for the first time in ten or fifteen years. Um, but I think you know one of the great things about the way we set up our life is that we're always in in support or always go, go moving towards the same goals. So whether it has to do with 
life or practice. Um, and it allows us, I think, to be unselfishly supportive of each other, knowing that like we always have each other's back. So, you know, having started a family or even things related to business, you know, it's not like I'm sacrificing something or he's sacrificing something. We're always working towards the same, the same things together. And I think that makes it, uh, easy. Yeah. Well, yeah. And at the same time, we often disagree, which I think is productive because there's a creative friction there, which the people, you know, the team in our office actually are probably often very uncomfortable because we'll argue <laughs> about something and continue to argue about something until one of us feels like we've gotten the last word. So that their laundry goes out in the office. <laughs> Absolutely. And they get to see it. Okay. Absolutely. But it's productive because we challenge one another all the time and are, are both fairly headstrong about our ideas but are willing to listen to the other person and challenge those ideas. And I think it's working so far. So there's a secret sauce. Yeah. Yeah. It says like, how do you separate it? What's, uh, or you're, or you're not. And maybe that's, that's the secret. sauce. I think that the only thing that, um, that separates it for us is our daughter Mm -hmm. because she doesn't care. And in (laughs) fact, she gets upset if we talk about work too much. So, she kind of enforces a, 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 a good work-life balance for us. And that's, that's interesting because my next question to you is actually how you do it, how you grow a practice while also being young parents, because you have now almost three, but you have two babies. One is your own mm-hmm. and one is the practice, which you're literally just growing. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you do it? What comes first? I'm sure Eve, but, you know. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> um, I, I think that, like, Nathan has a very productive level of anxiety, of, like, constant anxiety. Right. And I am probably an optimist. And I am pretty chill in the face of adversity. So I think that our personalities balance each other out pretty well with that. You know, we're both ready for the challenge of working through whatever needs to be worked through. He worries a lot. And I'm always like, it's going to be okay. <laughs> I'm not Don't sure you? I agree That's with true. that framing of things. <laughs> That's okay. I like the pessimistic person more, so it's fun. Yeah. It's okay. yeah. And um, you know that pessimism sometimes... It, it makes you work hard. Hey, that's the engine. Yeah, that's for it. sure. Yeah. yeah. You always are encouraging us to be pessimistic. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. That, that's interesting. So Eve, Eve is the secret sauce because she separates it, but she also brings it together. Um, she feels like welcome in the practice. Like, is she, you know, she shares ideas by now? <laughs> uh, she's not shy about sharing ideas about anything. Uh um, we'll see. We'll see about architectural ideas. She's not questioning, you know, your your uh, architects, um, you know, not drawings yet. and things like that. Not just yet. She certainly will. At some <laughs> okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, it's maybe more on a personal side, but do you want her to pursue architectural at some point? Not particularly, one way or the other. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Although I feel like now that we're having two kids. 
it's probably inevitable that one of them will become an architect, it's, but it's certainly not anything that we would ever. Hey, the name is already enforce. there, you know, it's Peterson Reach. <laughs> And not going to encourage or discourage one or the other. Okay. All right. That's because your parents are architects. Mm -hmm. All right. So it's a generational thing. Yeah. And I will say, like, when I told my parents that I wanted to go to architecture school, we were out to dinner. And my dad, like, literally got up from the dinner table and had to step outside because he was was, so distraught (laughs) with that declaration. All right, that's uh, that's interesting. So we will have to wait a couple of years to see. Whereas my parents, I think, are still trying to figure out what it is that I do. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The the good thing is that you can show them, like, Mom, I designed that. So, right. um, Right. All right. Um, Your your projects are very diversified. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, looking at this portfolio... Um, you you work with top artists doing their studios, um, really doing all this high end work, while at the same time working on affordable housing in New York. Is there a different approach when you're just going into those projects? I, I don't think so. Actually, I think they've been very separate projects within the office for a long time. And one of the things that we're, we've been talking about a lot and feeling very thankful for is that recently it feels like these two t- different sort of tracks in the office, one that's related to, let's say, public housing and socially engaged work, and one that's around sort of cultural work and the arts. Until recently, they've been kind of these separate tracks, but they're now starting to come together. Um, and I think the reason is that more and more our clients are sort of people who are like-minded and sympathetic to some of the sort of mission-driven work that we've done in the public housing world and socially engaged work in the city. Um, And there are a lot of those people in the arts. um, And there are ways that the arts can sort of have a wider impact on the city um, and that they can relate to development and that they can relate to sort of... um, utilizing underused space or bringing attention to issues. Um, so we're lucky to be having those two different types of work come together fairly recently. Yeah. And I think, you know, we're part of our process is working with people and thinking about how spaces facilitate people doing things, you know, so working with an artist to develop a workspace that will help, you know, facilitate the kind of practice that they're doing now or to imagine or envision a practice that they might do in the future through the creation of this purpose-built space is in some ways no different than working with, you know, a group of NYCHA residents thinking about how to recreate the environment in which they live and around yeah. which they live to facilitate a different and better you know, way of living their lives too. So I think they kind of stem from the same place. It's kind of touching on the next point, which is what is the role of an architect, you know, these days? What is it? Is yeah. it to save the world? Save, save the, the world? world. Is that yeah. what no. Oh, no. But, but, but I, I, we had a really interesting experience, what just last week, I think, where we did a public, we did a, um, a what do they call it? It was a workshop. Like a at, community engagement a session. A community engagement session at the West Brighton Houses in Staten Island, where it's a NYCHA development where there's a proposal on the table to do a new development 
on their, like within the West Brighton mm-hmm. campus. And part of it is conceiving of how that new development could also be utilized to improve some of the existing conditions at West Brighton. And so there were about 100 residents there and eight tables or so of people who were looking at maps that we had drawn and working with uh, foam models to sort of work through ideas. And when these projects often come up um, either through from the housing authority itself or from, from HPD or from developers, residents in the past have had really negative reactions. Um, and there are a lot of reasons for that. But I think one of the things that we've sort of observed through this this workshop and also some of our other experiences is the way that architecture can be used as a tool of communication and of working with people. And it's just a different language than numbers are or even than words are. And it's a very useful tool for collaboration. So just sitting there with a bunch of these residents and sketching together or building foam models together. And throughout that pop process, they're very, at least in, in my experience, were deferential to us as architects and recognizing that this was something that we do on a daily basis. But it's also just uh, a different way to communicate. And I think it was really exciting for us to experience that in such a direct way last week and to be able to use our skills as a way of sort of, you know, both creating relationships, building ideas. And we do that every day with different clients. But this was a, a group exercise with a, a group of people that we don't yeah. typically interact with. And so it was very encouraging about, you know, what it is that architecture can do and can be. Yeah. That's interesting. It's, again, connecting people together is maybe not that different than saving lives, but um, it's, um, it's just, again, communicating is tough these days. So mm-hmm. um, doing it through architectural is actually interesting. Um, exactly. and I'm glad, glad you had the, the option actually to see it in your own eyes because People really probably don't speak or understand, you know, architecture, but putting that in front of them um, just creates the discussion um, about their own future, mm-hmm. by the way. So it's uh, really interesting. Um, you own the practice now for 10 years. Um, what do you really like about owning a practice? I like going into work every day. I mean, we've... I like our team. Okay. It's amazing. I mean, we, we've got this group of people who we really enjoy spending time with and working with and building ideas with, and we get to go into this space every day and work with them. And um, it sounds simple, but, you know, I don't think everybody's able to say that about their job. Yeah, Same. I agree. It's definitely not for the faint of heart having your own business. There's a lot of responsibility, and I think you know, coming, coming through the pandemic in the last couple of years and like, you know, facing all of the uncertainty in March, 2020 really drove home for us, how much responsibility we have, you know, there's like the work and the projects, but more, more so for all the people who, you know, work for us. And, um, yeah, it's not, it's uh, not for the faint of heart, but I agree with Nathan that for me, like, there's not a day when I don't, like when I dread going into the office or when I don't want to go to work, I'm excited about everything that we're doing and the people that we get to work with every day. So you, you, you're right now working with a lot of young architects. You had, you know, employees in the past that were working with you. Mm-hmm. If any one of them will want to open their own practice someday, will you push them towards doing that? 
Will you have a, an adv- a piece of advice for them? My advice would be to take every opportunity that comes your way. I'd say we're now starting to get to a point where we're a little bit more selective about the work that comes to us. But for the first however many years in the office, we took really every opportunity that came at us. And every opportunity, no matter how small, is a, learning, is a way to learn. And sometimes I think there's a tendency as a young architect to want to sort of create and build an identity around your practice from the beginning. And my advice, I think, would be to try to build that identity through the work itself rather than to try to impose an identity on a, on a practice, to take a lot of opportunities, learn from those opportunities, and then from there start to uh, uh, build the identity of the practice. Yeah. There's always something to be learned from every project, small, big, whether it fits neatly within your idea of what you should be doing or what you could be doing or whether it falls slightly outside of that, I think... Every opportunity is an opportunity for for learning and for like personal growth. If you know, if not like growth of the business. Sure, um, you worked with a lot of clients in the past. You had different type of projects. Um, if there was a client, or even just maybe a team member as a as a engineer or a landscape architect that you could collaborate with, mm-hmm. um, who would it be? Sure, go ahead. Um, I'd love to collaborate with David Byrne. Um, I think he's an incredible creative person. I'm I'm very interested in people that think in a cross disciplinary way. That might have a craft. Yeah. Like David Byrne is this brilliant musician, but he he takes on information from all these other fields, which I think is so interesting. So David Byrne is very interesting to me. I like that musician. Mm-hmm. You. You like to collaborate with Nathan, and that's like enough, right? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I don't have a person that comes to mind. Huh? I mean, I think we already collaborate with a lot of amazing people that sure. we cultivate relationships yeah. with. Like, whether it's clients or, like, you know, we do a lot of work with Silman and engineering um, Justin Den Herter, you know, is a structural engineer over there that we've worked with on many projects. I feel like we already we have so many rich collaborative yeah. relationships that have, you know, helped us develop what we do and helped us do what we do better and made us think about things differently that I don't dare to dream about other hypothetical situations. Okay, it will come, you know. <laughs> it will be more people. And uh, again, it's exciting. And I hope it's going to work for you, Nathan. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> Let me yeah. know if you have a contact. Um, I'll, I'll, <laughs> he's probably listening. So, you know, probably. if you're listening, just reach out to us. I know um, he's interested in architecture. <laughs> I saw him lecture a couple of years ago at, um, um, at, what was that place in Williamsburg, the BMW place. Yeah. Yeah, at ADO, and he gave this lecture about architecture. It was All right. fantastic. It was incredibly entertaining. So maybe That's cool. Yeah. All right. Um, COVID is almost, I want to say almost, in the rearview mirror. Mm-hmm. Um, so many things have happened for the past 18 months. Um, what will change in our industry, you know, due to COVID? What do you think? I mean, it certainly hasn't changed the way that we have designed spaces. No. Which I'm happy to say. Yeah. Even like 
our most recently opened public project at the Rubin Museum, you know, like was not shying away from having goals about bringing people together physically, um, having people touch things as part of the interactive design of the installations there. Um, so I'm happy to say I don't think that we're suddenly going to be afraid to be around each other or touch things that other people have touched. Um, from a practical standpoint, I think that we'll continue to give more presentations and have meetings and things over Zoom, you know, and do things through the computer, which sometimes can be very beneficial. It can mean bringing people from farther away yep. together more easily and less expensively and with like a lower impact on the environment. Um, Hot topic right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I'm not, I'm not sure that it, I'm optimistic that it's not going to fundamentally change the way that we design spaces or think about like community and bringing people together. That's so interesting. Instead of being six feet apart, you're saying <laughs> let's bring people together, yeah. which I love. Anyway. <laughs> um, so that's like near future and like 25 years from now, you know, with the growing of cities, just being more dense. Do you see something changing? in the way we leave, in the way that you're going to design spaces and, and maybe open spaces? Mm. In terms of how cities grow? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's, it, I think the role of equity in urban policy right now is really interesting. I think people are recognizing the importance of, of um, enabling housing construction to make cities more affordable. And how some of the things that maybe we consider to be precious in cities now won't be, I don't think, in even 10 years. So, for example, there's a strong movement right now to rezone Soho here in New York. Soho is kind of like a sacred cow neighborhood. Mm -hmm. But I think there's a recognition that Soho needs to be upzoned in order to create enough building stock mm -hmm. to affordably house the people that want to be in New York City um, and that we need in New York City. And so I think a neighborhood like Soho will be unrecognizable in a fairly short amount of time. Now, to say nothing of places like in San Francisco, you know, where they're incredibly low density. New York and Manhattan especially is already a very high-density city. But cities like San Francisco and a lot of cities in California where there's they're just low density by virtue of the law and the zoning have become completely unaffordable to people. And these are places that people want to live and they need people to live because not everybody can be a tech executive. Um, so I think that there's now a recognition of that that's making its way into policy that will hopefully make cities more affordable for wider groups of people. It's not on my list, but I have to ask because you mentioned cities. You've been working a lot in New York, mm -hmm. upstate, you know, just Detroit. But is there... A city in specific that you would like to have your, you know, footprint on? Oh, that's interesting. Another city? Yeah. Mm. It could be anywhere in the world if you want to. We just had the opportunity to go to Mexico, which was that's cool. incredibly beautiful and exciting. And um, architects, young architects in particular, are doing beautiful things in in Mexico in Mexico City in particular, that would be a really fun place to work because there's okay. this incredible intersection of 
of traditional building techniques. Amazing materials. Incredible materials and culture, and then a real interest in contemporary architecture. Yeah. All right, so with Dave, I hope that's going to work as well, you Thanks. know. And, uh, <laughs> David well, Byrne. In, in Mexico In Mexico, in Mexico City. City. Yeah. For sure. All right, we can make it work. Um, no more professional questions. Oh, good. Yay. <laughs> um, but now just personal ones, just to get to know you better. Um, so we talked about your daughter. I know what you probably do a lot is watch Frozen. But <laughs> we're talking about Disney movies. If you can categorize yourself as one of them, who would it be? You have to answer this question. I don't, I don't have the answer <laughs> to this question. I don't know either. Oh, no. I'm you, drawing a blank. Eve's uh, going to be so upset. She is. Well, why don't you be... Uh, the snowman from Frozen? <laughs> no, I, I'm like, I'm, you know, I think we have watched a lot of Disney movies and I know Tamir, like, you know, your daughter's not old enough yet probably to watch I'm watching. Movies. I don't want my daughter. It's fine. Um, but what I, as a, as a woman who used to be a girl and, you know, watching now newer and also older movies with our daughter, I like, I love that none of the new movies that Disney or Pixar put out um, have anything to do with like love or finding partner, romantic partnership. Um, So many of the female characters are, you know, saving the world, doing it for themselves, for their families. Um, And it's exciting that like, you know, that, that that whole paradigm has shifted towards something far more, relevant for little girls today and i'm excited to see you know it like when i was eve's age there was a lot of princess playing and like i don't think she's ever called herself a princess but she likes to like you know woke up this morning and said she had a dream that she was like fighting a monster Mm -hmm. and that's really cool yeah yeah. Oh, we can talk about it forever. Wow, that's a totally different episode about <laughs> Disney movies and how things have changed. Um, we talked about Mexico. Any ideal place for your next vacation? You want to go back to Mexico? Sure, I'd go back to Mexico anytime. <laughs> I'd love to go back to Mexico. Uh, Mexico's great. Yeah. Okay. We've always wanted to go to Japan. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. It's exciting. Yeah, we considered it for a 40th birthday, but instead... Uh, COVID happened. <laughs> <laughs> All right, 45 it is. There you go. Um, okay. Um, talked about ambitions about who to work with, but if you can have a dinner with someone, random as it is, who would it be? You can't have it with yourself, okay? It's just... Um, David Byrne. In David Byrne. <laughs> no, I, lo- I mentioned this before, but I love reading... Uh, books about science, kind of like pop science books. Scientists that are good at communicating ideas. So there's like a whole group of, of people like that, like uh, Alan Lightman and Bill Bryson and Andrew Knoll, people like that who are probably really fun to talk to and know a lot of stuff. It's cool. Yeah. And you, Miriam? Miriam doesn't look like she'd want to come to that. <laughs> you're you're going to be at totally separate dinners, you know. It's like... <laughs> Not even at the same restaurants. I mean, at this point in time, I feel like just having dinner with everyone that I love <laughs> that I haven't seen much yeah. of in the last couple of years in one place um, is what I dream about. Um, 
Nathan turned 40 at the very beginning of COVID. I'm going to be turning 40 at some point in the near, in the near future. Um, and I'm hoping that like, by the time that happens, we will be able to get everyone that I love together. That's a better answer. Much better. (laughs) A much better answer. Um, all right. Last one. If you weren't an architect, what would you have been doing? You would be a painter, probably. Yeah, maybe be a painter. I don't know. I'd, I'd love to say I could be a physicist, but I'm not smart enough to do that. <laughs> yeah. So maybe I'd be painting. Yeah, I don't even know. <laughs> maybe I'd be like a movie director or something. That's I cool. I like to be in charge. That's cool. <laughs> so. You'd be some kind of executive. You'd be telling people what to do. I would be a boss. Just in charge. There's no doubt I would be a boss in some context. Yeah. Okay, that's good. A boss. Well, we'll just get it right to the boss. Um, I had fun. Thank you. Um, It was a great conversation, and we touched on many topics, but overall, I I had fun. Um, Thank you, guys. Thank you, Miriam. Thank you, Nathan. Thank you. Um, And, you know, we're going to be able to see all of your work and portfolio and the link that we're going to post as well. So, um, again, thank you for coming in. This was great. Thanks so much for doing it. Yeah, and we'll do it again. And we talk next episode, we can talk about Disney movies more. Can I, uh, (laughs) before we sign off, can I plug how great it is to work with Precise? You you can if you want. I don't know if it's GoDaz in editing, but yes. Tamir was talked about the growth of our office, and our office would not be growing had it not been for the help of Tamir and Dean and and the whole team at Precise. Thank you. Thank you. It wasn't script, I promised. It was not. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for listening. This time around, we got personal with Miriam Peterson and Nathan Rich from Peterson Rich Office. To learn more about the studio work, check out their website and Instagram. Links will be added into the comments section. Stay tuned for future episodes of Getting Personal with Designers. Thank you. Thank you.